0: Turn in your Bibles to Acts 2, 44, and uh, while you're doing that, I I need you to hear something really important right now, or you're going to be lost, okay? So as you're looking at your homework sheet, or your, uh, not your homework, but your notes, your sermon outline today, I'm actually starting with my second point, okay? If you don't, if you didn't hear me say that, uh, you're going to be lost because you're going to wonder why it took him all morning to get to his first point. Um, I'm ending with my first point. So, everybody say that together. Point two. Point two. Okay. If you didn't hear that, you're not going to hear anything today. So, go ahead and go back to sleep. Okay. So, Acts 2, I think, sets the tone for why we're encouraging you so strongly to connect in a life group. Verse 44 says, All the believers were together and had everything in common, selling their possessions and goods they gave to anyone as had need. Every day they continued to meet together in the temple courts. They broke bread in their homes, ate together with glad and sincere hearts, praising God and enjoying the favor of all the people. There is a term that has crept in uh, and become, you know, pretty popular in church ranks. Um, At hospitals, if you go to the hospital, you can go right up here to Meridian Park, walk down the hall, and uh, if you go in the doors, turn to your left, first door on your right, there's a chaplain's office there. It used to say pastoral care. That's someone's job. Uh, it's, it's, their, it's their position, it's what they do. Uh, one of the things that we've been talking about as a team, uh, our, our pastoral team, is you know, maybe it's a good idea to change our language a little bit and not always use that term pastoral care. We all know what that is. Uh, the challenge with it is it kind of communicates, again, that that's someone's job. Um, I don't see that in the Acts church. I see this term common. They, how they, the, you see how we just read how they, take, how they took care of one another and met, met one another's needs. So when we use the term common care, I'm not talking about it's something that just commoners do. So we're not talking about a hierarchy. We're saying that it's common. It's what Christians do. You know, it's what everybody does. Uh, we, we, we care for one another so when we talk about nurture or the ministry of nurture it should describe the ministry of the believers. Uh, praying for one another. Knowing the word and speaking the, the scriptures into one another's lives. Uh, encouraging one another in the word. Uh, the Bible. Uh, not, not seeing that as as Pastor Stan talked about last week, the, the holy man syndrome, you know, uh, we don't want to have a holy man syndrome, meaning or implying that we think that clergy or pastors have more potent prayers than anyone else. We don't believe that, do we? Scripture says the prayers of a righteous man avail much. So that's your qualification, and Christ is our righteousness. So what I'm going to be talking about today, and uh, the title of this sermon is Jump In. And uh, what I want you to jump into is really believing and embracing who you are and what your role is in the family of God. So we're going to be looking at that today. I'm going to spend most of that on my first point, which I'll get to when? Last. (laughs) See? (laughs) You're with me. So, uh, the formula for our life groups is very simple. We gather together, we pray together, we read the scriptures together. It's, it's really simple. The Word was taught, according to Acts 5.42. They never stopped teaching and proclaiming the good news that Jesus is the Christ. They also prayed together. That should be your point three. See how fast the sermon's going already? (laughs) Acts 12, verses 11 to 12, there's just an interesting story um, and and just an example of what happened when they prayed together uh, as they were meeting house to house. Here's Peter, uh, because there was persecution going on, this is one of the reasons that they met house to house. It's kind of an underground church at times, depending on who was king. At this time, it was Herod, and Herod was kind of a freak. And uh, I mean, this, this guy would, you know, dip believers in wax and uh, live and stand them in his garden place. Uh, and light their heads on fire as human candles to light his dinner parties. And so, he decided uh, Peter was causing too much trouble. He was preaching the gospel, and so he was thrown in jail. There he is in jail as we read the story, and he's got uh, two bookends on each side of him, these two soldiers that are keeping an eye on him, and they're all sleeping and And an angel comes and wakes Peter up. keeps the keeps the uh, the the soldiers sleeping, but he wakes Peter up, and his chain. It was a miracle that occurred. Uh, His chains fell off. And as you read the story, there, he he thinks he's dreaming. It's a good dream, (laughs) you know. So picture this. I mean, if this is you, your chains fall off, and you you look at. The soldier on each side of you, and you, you go to the edge of this cell, and you look, and an angel says to you, "Go." So you're thinking, "This is a cool dream." So he goes, and as he gets down the road, he realizes, and we'll pick this story up here. He comes to, and he realizes this is not a dream. It says, Peter came to himself and said, Now I know without a doubt the Lord sent his angel and rescued me from Herod's clutches and from everything the Jewish people were anticipating. When this had dawned on him, he went to the house of Mary, the mother of John, also called Mark, where many people had gathered and were praying. Miracles. Occur also. Have you ever said to yourself, uh, "Man, I just I want our church to be like an Acts church, like the church of Acts. We need to be more like the church of Acts." Have you ever, have you ever said that or heard that said? It's all right. Be honest. You know, I want to be more like that church in Acts. When I hear that, I think what I'm usually hearing is, we need more. Of that 1 Corinthians 12 stuff. The signs and wonders. The miracles. The manifestations of the Holy Spirit. Healing and and uh, tongues and interpretations of tongues. And and uh, words of knowledge and wisdom. And this all that supernatural stuff. You know, like happened in the church of Acts. We need to be more like the church of Acts. Well... What I'd like for you to consider is all of those things were outcomes of the simple stuff. The reality of believers gathering together in homes, praying together, reading the scriptures together, agreeing together, ministering to one another. We kind of want to get the cart before the horse and... We don't do the simple things, and then we wonder why the outcomes of the simple things aren't occurring so much. And so I'd, I'd like for us to just think about that. Uh, if you really want to be like the Church of Acts, it was like this. They gathered together in the temple courts, and they, uh, in, in large crowds, and they worshipped together, and they, they agreed together, and we're supposed to do that. It's, it's biblical. It's, we just read it. Good things happen. Here's what happens when we gather like this. Here's what, here's what we should be experiencing when we gather like this. The teaching of the Scriptures. We should be inspired and led, directed by the Holy Spirit. John 16 says that He'll guide us in all truth. The Holy Spirit will guide us in all truth. So as I'm talking right now, Uh, the Holy Spirit will be speaking to you what he wants you to hear. And that's a really cool thing. We should experience the presence of God. You should go out of here and think, man, God was there. I felt felt God in it. Because the Bible says God inhabits the praises of his people. And so we should experience the presence of God. I mean, these are all essential things. That's why we gather. And then, when you leave here, if you don't have a church family, if you're, if you're simply a church attender, you came in, you sat down, you faced forward, set a couple of highs, drank some coffee, ate a donut, and then left as soon as you could, you should experience all those things I just mentioned that are powerful, life-changing things. However, as you go, you'll experience them all by yourself alone. Because you're a church attender. And you may not discover that you don't really have a church family. Because you discover when you have a church family. When people who you know are praying. And miracles happen. Chains are broken, and you're set free. You experience that you have a church family when you are experiencing something difficult, um, a crisis, a need, a dilemma, and you realize there are actually close-knit believers who you can tell that to, and because you told them, they can actually respond where if you're a church attender, you'll have those same needs, but there's nobody, really you're, you're, nobody that you're really comfortable telling that to, so the need doesn't get met, you feel all alone, and the enemy will lie to you, Satan will lie to you, that no one cares. And it's a lie. It's just that no one knows. Or if someone does know, they're not closely knitted, jointly fitted together with you. We're going to look at what that term means. They're not jointly fitted together with you in a way where they feel a sense of urgency and responsibility and, and, and a heart to, to make a sacrifice and help. You know, as opposed to, well, I'm sure somebody else knows about that and will take care of it also. Do you see how, how uh, essential it is for real care, for common care, not just pastoral care, but for common care to occur, that you're connected with folks. Here's the miracle that Peter experienced. Peter knocked at the outer entrance, verse 13 of chapter 12. A servant girl named Rhoda came to answer the door, and when she recognized Peter's voice, she was so overjoyed she ran back without opening it and exclaimed, Peter's at the door. You're out of your mind, they told her. When she kept insisting that it was so, they said, It must be an angel. But Peter kept on knocking, and when they opened the door and saw him, they were astonished. Peter motioned with his hand for them to be quiet and described how the Lord had brought him out of prison. So, they prayed together. They learned the scriptures together. Miracles occurred. The reason I want to spend the remaining of our time together on this first point, that they met house to house, So I think that if we don't understand the the why why did they meet house to house so that those outcomes would occur then we're not going to meet house to house and then those outcomes we're not going to experience having folks that we can pray together with and be jointly fitted together with I'm going to explain to you now what that term means to be jointly fitted together so Acts 5.42 says day after day in the temple courts and from house to house they met. Romans 16 verses 4 4 to 5 we see the writer of the book of Romans said this, They risked their lives for me. Not only I but all the churches of the Gentiles are grateful to them. Greet also the church that meets at their house. Colossians 4 verse 15 says, Get my greetings to the brothers at Laodicea. The Apostle Paul's writing to the Colossians and he says, and and also to Nympha and the church in her house. I sent out an email a couple uh, months ago and uh, just knowing that this series was coming, I thought, man, it would be really good to have some actual feedback and um, uh, kind of the scoop, what's going on out there, and uh, I'm going to share a couple of the responses with you today. First, this one uh, actually came from somebody in my group, and this gentleman uh, actually makes his living through social media. Um, he's a marketer and actually is a professional at showing other companies and, and professionals how to market their companies through things like Facebook. And so he understands the value, and, and, uh, and he writes this. I believe most people don't care as much about the what as they do the why. And I agree with him, and that's why I'm finishing with this emphasis, the why. It's not the cozy house, the warm dessert and suede love seat that keeps me coming back each week. It's the people in the cozy house, the discussion around the warm dessert and the connection that happens on the suede love seat. I think we're slowly becoming a society of less face-to-face and more face-to-Facebook. Although there is nothing wrong with social media, it'll never replace social gatherings. This is why I look forward to my weekly life group and go the extra mile to make it not only a part of my schedule, but a priority as well. Again, most people use Facebook and Twitter to announce what they're eating, where they're going, and the latest photo they took. But when people show up to life group, connect and share more than their status, something dynamic happens. You find yourself truly connecting and later praying for their needs. When someone's status reads, I'm watching Judge Judy reruns and eating tater tots. I usually don't feel led by the Holy Spirit to close my laptop and pray for them. But every time I leave life group, I'm reminded of the importance of social gatherings and why we need to truly be social. And then he finishes it like this. As I mentioned, Pastor Stan talked uh, over the last couple of weeks about the holy man syndrome, that we don't have this idea that Uh, that only certain people's prayers are more potent. I want to add to that that we also don't want to have the holy place syndrome. The holy place syndrome is where we think that this building, this structure, while this building is important, and God has called us to build these because they facilitate ministry. That's why they're called facilities. You've heard Pastor Stan say that, right? And it's, it's so that we have a place where all those th- good things that I said should be, we should be experiencing here, and I trust that you are, you wouldn't be here. We also don't want to have the mindset that only real ministry happens here in these facilities, that would be the, you know, the holy place syndrome. The only real ministry happens right here. When the fact is, the Bible calls us uh, a holy nation, a royal priesthood, uh, people being jointly fitted together, God's, God's house. And when he says God's house, he's talking about you and I and what occurs when we are tightly, jointly fitted together, which doesn't occur... When our calisthenics are come in, sit down, face forward, and leave, and then come back next week. But we don't, we don't get connected with people. Ephesians 2, 19-22 says, Consequently, you are no longer foreigners and aliens, but fellow citizens with God's people and members of God's household. Built on the foundation. Thank you, Jesus, for your confirmation. <laughs> yeah praise. Everyone say, praise the Lord. Pastor Stan made the right decision. Hear that? It's raining out there. Let it rain. Jesus uh, himself, verse 20 says, but on the foundation of the apostles and prophets, which Christ Jesus himself as the chief cornerstone, in him the whole building is joined together. Now, Fill in that blank, write that word down. That word joined, I'm going to talk about here in just a minute, is joined together and rises to become a holy temple in the Lord. And in Him, you two are being built together to become a dwelling with God, which God lives by His Spirit. Now, do you think he's talking about a building there? Or is he talking about what happens when you and I connect at a deep enough level where we experience where we experience ministry you praying for me me praying for you you hearing my need i hear your need i respond to your need you respond to my need miracles happen as those needs are met And that's not going to happen with everyone that's sitting in front of me and me. I don't, I don't even know everyone here. That happens in my life in, in, in the capacity of about 12 or 15 people that I can really be close enough to that I'm comfortable as a pastor sharing my stuff with. Right? Right? that's that's the place the dwelling place that he's referring to here i want to show you a couple of pictures i uh, i grew up in the uh, home of a builder my dad's a contractor and uh so you know this was every day during the summer for me uh, and most of us have seen on the right this this picture Sitting on the, uh, you know, inside the sidewalk on the street you walk down, right? Uh, or drive by a house that's in its just wood form with no siding or insulation or anything. See this, see this uh, board right here? It's called the top plate. And this one will get one on it. It just, it's not there yet. You can see this picture here. See how this top plate is, it actually runs long past this wall and it goes over the top. That's called a mitered joint. That's what Paul was talking about. That word joined, jointly fitted together, means mitered together. This is, this is another picture of it. This top plate from this wall comes over the top of here and gets nailed in four corners and it ties this wall to this wall. You can't just stand two walls up and walk away. They're not going to stay up, especially in an earthquake, right? So this is what ties it together. And, and actually, this is, our building here is a good example. See the ceiling here? This is above the, above the screen here. It's not flat. It actually comes down on an angle. And this beam over here comes across on an angle. It's not flat. This is the only flat one right here. This one runs horizontally. Hopefully, it's level. That one's not level. This is not level. Which means that joint right there behind that picture, or that light there, that is called a compound miter joint. That means there is no connection there that is any equal part of a 90 degree angle. So there's no 90 degree corner there. There's no 45. There's no 22 and a half. Two 22 and a halfs make a 45. There's none of that. It's whatever it has to be. And so these are these are, you know, a nightmare for carpenters and engineers. It's whatever it has to be for that angle to meet with that angle because this angle can change. We can put a steeper pitch on that. That'll change it, okay? So that's a compound miter angle. It's jointly mitered together, jointly fitted together. That's that's the the picture that Paul is painting when he describes the household of God, the body the, the body of believers. This this Holy nation, this royal priesthood. Why does he call us a royal priesthood? Because you remember when Jesus breathed his last breath, it says in uh, Matthew uh, chapter 27, in fact, verse 51, it says, At that moment, rocks broke, there was an earthquake. And the temple veil that separated the outer court from the Holy of Holies where only the high priest could go once a year and atone for the sins of the people by shedding the blood of a lamb. Our Bible teaches us that Jesus is that lamb now, capital L. He's the lamb of God and his blood was shed once for all. Okay? And so at that moment, rocks broke, earthquake happened, Temple veil closed. Why did God do that in his sovereignty? Why did he do that? The apostle Paul teaches, if you believe that Paul wrote the book of Hebrews, in the book of Hebrews, it's so that you and I would know now that all of us are joint heirs with God, um, co-laborers with Christ. These are the terms that we read in the Bible. Co-laborers with Christ. A holy nation, a royal priesthood, uh, adopted into his kingdom and... Now we can come boldly before his throne because Jesus is our high priest. We don't have to go to a priest, small p. He actually refers to all of us as as a royal priesthood. And you know, uh, there are books uh, in libraries and most of them are on the subject of self-help, self-esteem, self-concept. For every book on any subject in the Bible, or in in the library, there are three more on self esteem. And uh, I wonder if we wouldn't struggle so much with our self image, or self concept, or self esteem, if we really could embrace this reality that we are a royal priesthood. that you're, you're sitting among priests and kings, joint heirs with Christ, a holy nation, that should be jointly fitted together. Henry Drummond says, Nine men are striving to get people to go to church for each one who is striving to make people realize they themselves are the church. You see the date there. That he said that this is not a new concept. Um, he and and Henry Drummond didn't make it up. Jesus said this: everything that the Father has given to me, now I have given to you. Go therefore, likewise, and make disciples of every nation, baptizing in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teach, teaching them everything that I've taught you, teaching them to obey everything that I've taught you. Who did he? Who was he? Some folks say, well, that was just for the apostles. Well, being a systems guy and believing that that's actually a spiritual thing, I believe Jesus was a systems guy and, and it would be a really bad system to just propagate the gospel through 12 people and, and then it just dies off. That's all he was talking to. It was just for them. Right? Do, you, do you think we would all be sitting here uh, over 2,000 years later? Do you, do you think there would be a, a billion Christians across this globe, if he was just speaking that to the disciples? No, it's us. It's believers. It's common. So, there are terms that we use, um, terms like I've used this morning, uh, the priesthood of the believers. We, We have a theology that we embrace because of that. We say things like, we don't have a holy man syndrome or a holy place syndrome. We say things like, we believe every member a minister. Right? Do we believe that, or is that just our is that our theology that we preach? See, I, I believe that a church's system, a church's structure tattles on its the, narcs on its, the, its theology. That's why it's just a joy to work here because our I, I I I am convinced, and I get to be a part of this reality that we actually believe, and with deep conviction, believe that you're a royal priesthood. We believe in you. We believe that you're capable of ministering to one another and being jointly fitted together. Because if, if we just extract what we've been talking about the last couple of weeks, the life group ministry, if you just take that out of us, then what? What we're saying is, we believe this theology. We preach this theology of, of, a, of a royal priesthood that we all are. But we think it's silly to structure that way. Well, we don't think it's silly, we think it's sovereign. Some people don't want to be uh, really tight fit, jointly fitted together. Take a look at this, would you? Are you tired
1: of small groups always getting into your business, trying to get you to share your feelings, discuss your past, confess your sins? Are you just looking for a place to kick it, network, maybe get some free grub? Me too. That's why I created what I believe to be the world's first openly shallow small group. We're not here to deal with messy stuff like feelings and emotions. You got problems? You deal with them. You're an adult. Life ain't easy. So stop the pity party. We all have our issues. We don't really want to do life together. Frankly, at Shallow Small Group, we try not to do much of anything at all. You'll never hear us use the term, unpack that thought. We're sure it's packed away for a really good reason. You'll never hear us use the term accountability unless you're talking about someone who deals with numbers. Hey, dude, thanks for doing my taxes. You have great accountability. And spiritual growth. Who wants growth? I had a growth removed last week. It wasn't pleasant. There's no pressure here to remember each other's name. What's going on, buddy? Oh,
0: hey, man, how's it going?
1: That's going good. Hey, Chief. Oh, dude. Captain, what's on? We know He's you up? have a name, and that's the important thing. Group discussion? You got tickets to the big game? Sweet. Let's spend some time on that. Oh, you and your wife are struggling financially? There's tension in the relationship? Uh, that's not really the vibe we're going for. We avoid conflict like the plague. wants cake? Come on and get it! And there will never, ever be an awkward silence. That's our guarantee to you. We hate bad theology as much as the next guy. And we know the surest way to prevent bad theology is to avoid theology altogether. And outreach? This is the only outreach you'll ever have to do. Some people say we're superficial. But hey, the word super isn't superficial. I mean, who doesn't want to be super? Shallow small group. Because when things get too deep, people drown. Won't you join us?
0: Some folks just don't want to be jointly fitted together. I don't think this is what the Apostle Paul had in mind. I don't think it's what Jesus had in mind. And just so you know, we don't have a group like this available for you. (laughs) I want to finish with this story. Um, This is written by Zach and Karen. I mentioned to you that I asked for some responses uh, from some of our folks that are in life groups. And uh, Zach actually gotta played bass this morning. So he says, Our story at Horizon started in January 2010. Our family was living in Southern California when I received an interview for a job at a software company in Lake Oswego. My wife and I arrived in Portland a day before the interview to survey the area. One thing that is a priority for us is uh, Christian education, and we had made a list of several Christian schools in the greater Portland area to investigate. We drove past several, and when we drove onto the Saggart campus, that, by the way, is across town where our elementary school meets and uh, where this church was established. Uh, When we drove on the Saggart campus, the peace of the Holy Spirit suddenly fell heavily uh, in our car. I can't explain it, but it was a tangible thing. We just knew Horizon was the place for our daughters. Two weeks later, I got the job. We prayed knowing that a move would mean major life changes for us. Two weeks after that, we packed up our entire home in California and moved to Portland. We knew no one. We had no connections, no idea what was in store for us. We just knew somehow that this was where God wanted us. Our girls started at Horizon Elementary in the middle of the year. And when my wife and I went to register them, the entire first grade class came running down the hall to welcome us, even though our kids hadn't arrived yet. It was amazing. We connected with a couple who had kids in the same grades as our daughters, Drew and Wendy Dilry. We started attending Horizon regularly and became involved in a few ministries, I just want to stop there briefly. Um, I, I want to just illuminate something. At this point, they're attending. They're even getting involved in some ministries. Being involved in ministries, serving together is good. However. That doesn't necessarily mean that you have a church family. It could mean that you have developed a number of acquaintances who you do work with. That's necessary work and and, and necessary service. But it may not mean you have a church family yet. So don't be confused if you are one in our church, and I've talked to some of you who you, you you think you're really connected, but it's confusing to you because you're doing all this stuff, but you don't feel connected, and that's a mystery to you that's because you're working. That doesn't mean you're relating and, and being jointly fitted together. Get this picture. Look how it developed. When the fall of 2010 began, Drew and Wendy invited us to join their life group. I especially was a little unsure. I didn't see myself as a, quote, life group type people. Whatever that is, right? This is the video, right? Uh, and, it, and it wasn't something we had done before as a couple. But we really felt the Holy Spirit prompting us to go. The Delries had become friends, so we didn't feel like we were going in blind without knowing anyone. And we figured we could evaluate for 10 weeks and step out if we felt out of place. What I never imagined was how close we would become with all the members of our group. We don't have any family locally. They are our family. The group was so welcoming, so warm, so caring that we were instantly accepted. It's a strange thing, but we developed incredibly deep friendships almost overnight. There was never a feeling of being the new people. They're our best friends. We do life together. When we moved from our temporary apartment to our house, four men from the group showed up to help load the truck. And when we arrived at the house we un- uh, to unload the truck and walked in to find those men's wives unpacking boxes and putting things away. And I just want to add, all this happened and I didn't even know about it. I thought I was the moving ministry. (laughs) Some of you think you're the moving ministry too. Ask Tom Leesman. He thinks he's the moving ministry. Pastor Alex thinks he's the moving ministry. This happened. We didn't even know about it. Church being the church, he says. It's the church being the church. Everyone in that group blesses us in the ways we never imagined. I'd like to think we bless them in the same ways. It's been incredible. A year later, we're still in the group. Actually, it's more like being intertwined. Compound miter. I'm just adding that there. We take trips together. We watch each other's kids. We hang out together. I think this is the main reason that Horizon has become home. Our daughters attend the elementary school and our life group has become our family. Life group has done more than just bless us. It's deepened us. It's changed us. Rob and Kim, I like that he, he, he felt the need to list names. Rob and Kim, Albert and Michelle, Drew and Wendy, Brian and Dee, Dan and Kathy, extended the kingdom to us when we knew nobody. We're blessed. We're grateful. But mostly we're excited. Is life group worth it? Absolutely, unequivocally, Yes.